start by saying, just saying our first name, but not repeating the name, but just so we can all sort of be connected to who's present today. And I'm Lily. I'm Will. I'm Ellen. Dave. Susan. Katie. Oscar. Cody. Jim. Larry. So I went to bed last night uh, with reverberations of having all these grandchildren running around our house all evening and witnessing um, when everybody was going home and partying, you know, this intense feelings of, I don't leave, don't leave, I miss you, I, I don't want to go. And just to feel the aliveness of children really becoming connected to, to life, you know, to people, to relationships. And, but it was very chaotic. <laughs> so it's nice to be here, um, sitting together. Um, so I've been like um, living with uh, Shodo Harada's book, Not One Single Thing, which is, uh, he's a contemporary Japanese uh, teacher and I guess you might say. And this is a commentary on the Platform Sutra. So what he says over and over is, abiding nowhere, awakened mind arises. Abiding nowhere, waking mind arises. And he says something that we all already know. We've heard it over and over again. Letting go of thinking, designating mind, is of great importance. This is the entrance for the awakened mind to come forth, to actualize. But it's important to say again, at least from my experience, as soon as I sit, as soon as I wake up in the morning, our object-seeking mind starts to generate thoughts, plans, memories, images, Trains of thought going over conversations. It's just part of being human. And I think it's it's a very strong force. <laughs> so um, but we have to remember that Harada is saying, and saying this is what he then is saying in the Platform Sutra, abiding nowhere, awakened mind arises. Letting go of thinking, designating mind, is of great importance. But how does this happen, letting go of our object-seeking mind? I mean, I don't really think we know, actually. Because any way that we might think about it isn't really it. You know, whatever the Buddha mind is, is involved in, you know, it's not of our doing. So um, I think just to, I guess, acknowledge that uh, there's this deep pull towards, towards knowledge, to wanting to know, to wanting to have the words for it, actually leans us away from wisdom. It pulls us towards wanting to differentiate things and to feel secure in form. So just to be aware of this, the incessant work of the ego to try to 
differentiate and make something be this way. Um, and this is what turns us away from what's arising, makes us want to hold on to something that we cherish. And if we also have fears, and we create plans because we have fears. So, um, Oscar was talking about T.S. Eliot also, and there's a, a little poem that he says, they constantly try to escape from the darkness outside and within, they, meaning us, by dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. But the man that is, that is will shadow the man that pretends to be. The man that is, and man-woman that is, will shadow the man that pretends to be. So how do we do this? Listening as the awakening mind arises. Once we let go of the object-seeking mind, which we do over and over, which is why we're invited to notice, come back to our breath, but what then? How do we listen for the truth we each discover. So I've been considering energy a lot lately. And in sitting Vazen, we're really cultivating capacities that our ordinary mind and our social conditioning don't know much about. The Bodhisattva way, living for the benefit of all beings. The truth, there is no separate self to not hold on to a fixed view and care for all living beings. These are potentials we cultivate. And Prabhupada says, when the mind is fluid, true mind forms forth, all that is necessary is to focus on the life energy itself. All that's necessary is to focus on the life energy itself. And we must become this life energy. So Harada goes on to say, sitting with our senses covered over is the greatest mistake. Covering over our senses is the greatest mistake. So how is this energy arising, free to circulate? How do we open to this energetic field, the larger field of awareness? How do we stay in the oceanic um, without form? Again, we are, we are wanting to make things into form, but actually this is inviting us to stay in no form. Um, and actually, if we are now attuning to energy, we are being confronted with the almost impossible truth that no matter what, how long we practice, how many times we have to let go of fixed belief, still, as Zenju Earthly Manual says, we are constantly in unfamiliar territory without answers. We are constantly in unfamiliar territory without answers. I mean, this is pretty amazing, <laughs> that this is our life. Um, you know, the chaos 
lives of children. However, our senses are dharma gates that naturally function as long as we are alive. Our senses are the basis of our connection to the world and embody how we are in interconnections. So when we sit zazen with the intention of letting go of our objects in mind, we can invite attention to our senses, sensations, breath, sight, sound, taste, touch, and open our awareness to this larger field we're immersed in and notice the risings, the train whistle, striking a chord, the whizzing of the air purifier. Just this simple attunement to this larger field through our senses cultivates an attunement to energy itself, I think. I was talking to a friend um, who I learned from him, his brother makes batons for orchestra conductors. I didn't even know that was such a thing, like a whole life craft of making batons. And I didn't even really think about it either, that maybe the baton is really important for the conductor. I just would see it waving around. And, but, but anyway, he told me about how his brother described an experience he had making a baton for a conductor and the conductor telling him how he wanted it made. Uh, but the first time he made a baton for this conductor, she didn't like it. It wasn't correct. It wasn't, it was too heavy. Just part of it was too heavy. So he made a connection. He used a denser wood, uh, but this still wasn't enough. So he drilled a narrow hole precisely in the center of the handle and filled it with copper wire. And this is a true story. And when she took it in her hand, she said, it's magic. She said that when she conducts now, with this baton, she's able to connect with the energy that is at the root of everything. And from here, she conducts the music. I mean, for me, this is so beautiful because it's so embodied. The, you know, the attunement of the actual you know, making of the baton, it had to be exactly in a certain way to then connect with her bodily center for energy that then connected her again to the root of energy. And from there she could move. So in cultivating this kind of attunement, we are then free to move outside of the normal cause and effect of human conditioning. It's like the body becomes the tuning fork for Buddha activity. So I talked a little bit before with you about um, Taigan Layton's understanding of uh, sense mingling or, or kinesthesia. And he kind of exegetes uh, Dongshan's inquiry about do sentient beings um, uh, speak the Dharma? And this is a whole like debate that goes on, has gone on and on. But what Dongshan said in his poem, how marvelous, how marvelous. The Dharma expounded by non-sentient beings is inconceivable. 
Listening with your ears, no sound. Hearing with your eyes, you directly understand. So Dongshan's awareness that he expresses in this poem represents a formalistic apprehension of sensations that all work together uh, to open up the Buddha mind. So in opening to your senses, you can discover that you're also going to allow your senses to interact. Like one time sitting Zazen recently, I just heard this voice and it said, relax your hearing. Relax your hearing? I never thought of that. But just saying that, I could feel that my ears, the inner ear, whatever you call it, get relaxed. And then I started to tear. My eyes started to cry. And it was this incredible feeling. And all of a sudden, I felt so alive. Um, just by that kind of attending inside to the intermingling of our senses. So, um, Leighton says, um, says, hearing with your eyes, you directly understand, provides a prescription of synesthesia, sorry, the mingling of senses, so that sensation on one occurs from stimulus in another sense mode. So it's like the sensations in my ears stimulated something in my eyes. And this has been described as a subtle mode of apprehension. It's like Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of compassion, who has a thousand hands and eyes in every hand. Our whole body, our cells and eyes and ears working together, we're free to express the Dharma. This capacity also helps us not to attach to conceptions of awakening. We can become attached to our concepts or our languaging. And um, this kind of attunement breaks open that tendency. And this means that we can essentially meet the present in suchness. Um, I've been reading a lot of Zenju Emanuel, so. Um, she has another book called Opening to Darkness. And she talks about how darkness moves our senses around to a deeper sensing. She says, we have lost our sense of wildness. We have become tame, civilized. We have removed ourselves from being covered in dirt. We have perfumed the true smell of flesh. A wild human is rare to if one is mostly living in this wilderness, they are in elements and they are in darkness. So I learned, we are plant bodies, we are animal bodies, we are thin bodies. Places of wilderness have always been with us. It's all inside. Experiences of darkness remind us of our true nature, our wild nature. How do we return to our wild selves, remembering the oceans, the forests, the rushing rivers? Um, I don't know, it was a week or so ago, I 
we have a Cache Creek Nature Conservancy that kind of lives, lives near us. <laughs> we live near it, it lives near us. And there's also like a long country road and horse stables and almond trees on the other side. So I know that this road, if I walk on it, I can walk on it for three miles and I can get a good aerobic workout. And so I'm always kind of in this conflict. Do I get my aerobic workout and walk my three miles or go to my own nature conservancy? The wild place. So one day, you know, I had the voice that said, you better do your aerobic. And then this tiny little voice said, no, go to the nature conservancy. And so I, I said, okay. And so we walked, you and me walked into the nature conservancy. And, you know, there's this pond just full of you know, birds and underwater life and ducks on the horizon and little things skirting around, I don't know what, what they were. But anyway, again, I, I just started crying. It was like this part of me, this wild part of me felt so grateful. You know? So how do we listen to the wild voices inside? And in listening like that, again, we notice the life energy that's arising. And this is what opens the fluidity of our mind, the ability to be spontaneous in the moment. Um, um, I've also been, I thought that this koan, which many of you know about, might also connect to this conversation. And um, I think you've probably all heard of it. It's, I think it's in more than one book, but I found it in the blue record, case number 12, three pounds of flax. So at the beginning, there's a pointer comment that says, the thousand sages have not transmitted the single transcendental, transcendental path. Students toil over appearances like monkeys grasping at reflections. Tell me, since it is not transmitted, why then so many complicated public records? Let them let those with eyes try to explain. And then monk, this is the case, asks Tunshan, what is Buddha? Tunshan said, three pounds of flax. So it kind of makes you smile. Um, but upon first read, and even reading some of the commentaries, you could sort of hear this almost like a joke. You know, like, come on now. How ridiculous is it to even ask this question? You know, Buddha isn't everything. Um, and, and any answer that we use with words or concepts or comparative mind reveals nothing. So it's also kind of a confrontation on, you know, quit trying to think about it. Quit trying to make concepts. Um, but, I recently learned that three pounds of flax is exactly how much flax it takes to sew a summer weight robe in ancient China. So back then, when this column was actually circulating, this was sort of a fact. Three pounds of flax is the amount of thread that's needed to sew a robe. But so then, when you say, what's Buddha? You could hear 
It's what made the road long narrow. What's Buddha? It's the life. You are living right now. I think once in Zazen, I just began to cry uncontrollably. And this little voice comes in. How come you can't stop crying? But then I said, what's Buddha? Buddha is crying uncontrollably. One day, I was doing the road chant, and I noticed that I was chanting really softly. And again, how come you chanting so softly? What's Buddha? Buddha is chanting softly. It's, it's this wonderful way that we can cherish, you know, and, and really just step into the moment of whatever's happening, however we are in the moment. What kind of robe are you wearing today? Maybe hiding something vulnerable. Maybe calm, flowing. Maybe cradling something painful. Buddha is intimate with what's arising. So when I hear three pounds of flats, I think of weight scale. How are we measuring our life right now? To remember the balance beam and what happens when we live in, in the duality. Are your, are your measurements balanced? Usually we lean on one side. Are you weighted on the pain and suffering side and turning away from pleasure? Are you afraid of anonymity and seeking fame? These are kind of questions to wonder about. And also we can wonder what is the what are the threads of our lives weaving together today? What kind of tapestry are we um, cultivating? So these are just my thoughts, an invitation to connect with your senses as Dharma gates, to stay in no form. Be who you are. Listen through your senses to become intimate with the life energy itself in the unfolding of each moment. And let that life energy move you forward. And just to end, I wanted to share a poem by Lala, who's a 14th century Kashmiri poetress, poetress that goes, your own way of knowing is a private herb garden surrounded with a hedge of meditation and devotion to the mother goddess. Then each day you eat the herbs. The garden grows more and more empty. sit outside mm -hmm. and we're surrounded by oak trees mm -hmm. which are filled with birds and squirrels 
I just sit and listen to their conversations. And even more than Zazen, after a few minutes, there isn't anything else except the bird conversations. And you know, the hear the traffic from the road down below. We're up on a hillside and it echoes up and just that's about the only time, not even in Zazen, even when the discursive thoughts kind of fall away, there's always something back there kind of rumbling around. Yeah. So, wow. So, yeah. Just so, so, so um, easily everything drops away, except for the but, but y- y- Yes, it's... Uh, interesting how it works or how it doesn't work for yeah yes that's that's the why so I, so I appreciated your talk thank, thank you Susan um, on the lighter side <clears throat> I just got to say that the story of the wand it is so Harry Potter I yeah. don't remember when it was there. <laughs> <laughs> there, it, it that's true yeah. I didn't yeah. think of that Mm-hmm. That was, that was just, that's great. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if, you know, Rowling knew about that. <laughs> um, well, yes, because it's a real thing. It's yeah, not just yeah. a Harry Potter imaginary thing. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were talking about energy, um, I think some of the literature that I've been reading pointed out again to me that there are three bodies of Buddha. And so this energetic level of form from Madhikaya, right, we open to that, which brings us to a higher level of energy, which is Bodhikaya, this mm-hmm. emotional energy, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like totally, totally interconnected, yes. Uh-huh. And then, hopefully, at some point or another, we can, we can get even a higher level of energy connected with the Monica. Yes. Yes, it's a beautiful invitation to even sort of uh, experience one of the subtleties of energy. (laughs) You're talking about levels and opening of energy. Right, right. And it's the three Mm -hmm. bodies of the Buddha. Yes. Right? I mean, it's not like they're they're not connected. Mm -hmm. They're totally connected. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oscar. Um, in regard to opening to the senses, there's six senses in Buddhism. Relationship among those senses in terms of, uh, in, in terms of the way you're pre- presenting them, uh, thinking about them. It seems like there's a difference between opening to sight, sound, uh, the five senses of uh, Western psychology, and and mind. 
I mean, for one thing, I was offering this as doorways too, not staying there exactly. But I think what I was trying to get at is that the senses aren't separate. They're, they're interconnected. And once we let go of those forms that we're thinking in terms of, and then differentiating within those particular forms, we kind of get in the way of this capacity for the senses to intermingle. And that's where we can feel the wholeness. And that's the wholeness of the mind that's not our mind. I mean, it's the mind beyond human construction. And so that's that's where that can now arise forth. So abiding nowhere, the awakened mind arises. That's how I'm kind of trying to weave it together. That that's when we can let go, because we're letting go of our need to conceptualize our experiences. And in our own way, we construct it. And that's when the wisdom can come forth. Sort of liberating, liberating the senses. Okay, yeah, or in the way we categorize them, I guess. I mean, yeah. Or liberating them from, uh, from categorizations, from, from conceptualization. Yes, and seeing them as distinct or separate, yes. Mm-hmm. Seeing them as separate, seeing them as, as, uh, as discrete, each discrete rather than being on the spectrum of sensory experience. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm not being very that's clear. A little, <laughs> that's a little bit uh, abstract. Um, there might have, might have an interaction there. Well, is, you were interested in that, and I likewise quite interested in what you were talking about that then. I think you, 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 you used the word that you relaxed your ears, mm-hmm. at, maybe at a sashin or something, and some something happened that, you know, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you cry, I don't cry when these mm-hmm. things happen. But, uh, um, you know, I have, maybe I have a different, but, but I remember, mm-hmm. you know, how, you, you asked the question, how do, how does, how do we, how do we, how does this happen? Right, right. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. It would be, but perhaps most of the time it doesn't happen by saying I'm going to, you know, rel- I'm going to relax. Or it just happens, and then it mm-hmm. can be verified, you know. So uh, for me, I had an occasion once where I was in a cafeteria. Mm-hmm. I was getting ready to see a doctor, and I was having lunch before the appointment. And it was very crowded, and the tables were very close to each other. And right next to me was a table of these, this couple talking very loudly to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was like so imposing on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, what you know? What do you do? Well, you can walk away, but I didn't walk away. Mm-hmm. And I, without intending anything, I just, I, I think Rupert Spira talks about this thing, sinking back. You just sink back. And it's the same thing as relaxing the ears. You just sink back. Yeah. And, and what happened for me was they disappeared, and it just became a, an aggregate, an aggregate of sound. The whole cafeteria was nothing but an aggregate of sound. It was not one versus the other anything. 
and then when you when when it happens, you say, oh, yeah, you know, and that's maybe a, a, a moment of, of, yeah. of realization. That's a beautiful example because yeah. that shifted your whole consciousness yeah. to everything's here. generous to your sensations, especially thoughts. Uh, they're the most <coughs> troublesome to me. Um, and I uh, think generous uh, saying, you know, saying, okay, thoughts, any, you can think mind, you can think anything you want, uh, but I'm going to keep my eye on you. But being very generous with that, not making any judgments, just keeping my eye on the thoughts. And and there's a reciprocity because the thoughts then just come mm -hmm. without needing to to be uh, just they just want to be heard. They, they don't need to they don't need me to yeah. just making room for whatever well for all of it, whatever's there. Making room for <coughs> and and receiving without judgment. Yeah, whatever's and, there. And on the other side, the, mm -hmm. you know, the thoughts are, are just generous and just present themselves and don't need to dominate the other senses. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's re a relaxation and a generosity and it's kind of reciprocal. That's, mm -hmm. that's my experience. Mm -hmm. Susan, one more, did you? Oh, David, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying that going back to the sounds, something I read, somebody said that I read, I don't remember who, that enlightenment comes when we hear sounds but don't attach a label to them. And it was. Wait, I just want to make sure David gets a chance to share. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Didn't you want to say something? Oh, yeah, I was just going to mention. Um, I mean, Cody, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> I apologize. I, I appreciated the um, kind of practicing the synesthesia that Shota Harada Oshi's comment of uh, abiding nowhere, the awakened mind comes forth. Yeah. Um, and Cody? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate how she prefaced um, presenting synesthesia or the intermingling of senses with Shota Harada Roshi's comment that abiding nowhere, the awakened mind comes forth. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the two go hand in hand. When you are a person abiding somewhere, then you hear or see something. And that's what you were saying. We have these strict categorizations that are very, um, it's almost like social etiquette, almost, mm -hmm. you know, like you were saying, mm -hmm. living in a constructive world. Um, <clears throat> and I think this intermingling of senses is like you were saying, when you relax your hearing or you relax your, 
your fixed notions on what hearing is. You know, where you, like you were even saying, you feel your hearing. Um, and you hear what you're seeing. Um, you taste what you're feeling. You know, having these different ways of even interpreting what we mean by our senses. Um, first, I think there has to be somewhat, like you're saying, almost like an abiding nowhere. Um, and you talk a lot about not knowing, and I think the not knowing is most intimate. There, that's where the, when, when there's not knowing and there's intimacy with experience, it's hard to have these fast, hard, fast boundaries around mm -hmm. what hearing is, mm -hmm. what seeing is, where it's taking place. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate that, especially like once this, we can pay attention in this way, then it even opens up what hearing is, what seeing is, and, you know, what touching is. Like you said, that sense yeah. of aliveness comes forth. It's right. almost like when you restrict your senses to just what you think hearing is, there's almost like a, a dullness to life. Right, right. Like you were saying, when, yes. when you oh, relax your that. ears, yeah, there's yeah, this... Yeah, yeah. The energy itself yeah. comes forth. Yeah. Thank you for your Thank you. Well, maybe we're all the time. Maybe we should just um, resume our, our silent practice and we start with